Oh. Whoops. Sorry about that. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Okay, thanks. Yep, bye. Suppose I better shut that off, huh? No, this cell phone is actually an interruption, which kind of reminds us of what the message is about this morning. It's about God's messengers. And a messenger is basically someone just sent by God to get people's attention. And so uh, we're in the uh, Old Testament, and, and we're in chapter 15 of the story. And uh, today's a wonderful day. Obviously, like, like Alan said, it is my birthday, so I've been doubly blessed today. I, I asked God, or asked my wife of two things. I wanted to preach today, and then I also wanted an extra, day of, or extra hour of daylight. And she delivered on both cases. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful wife. She gives me everything I want. <laughs> and then uh, I just want you to know, uh, Trent and Sarah, your son is just, he's a blessing. He came up and said happy birthday to me. And so I asked him one of those dangerous questions, how old do you think I am? And he said 34. So I just want you to know he's very gifted too. I can't believe he got it right like that too. <laughs> but it is, this message is about God's messengers. And, and uh, one of the things I, you need to know is as a church how blessed we are to have uh, a pastor, pastors like uh, Mike and Bob that come up and, and give us the teaching that they do. And, and after today, you'll really be a blessed after today. So just thought you'd, thought you'd like to know that. Um, you know, this, uh, we were talking about the, uh, in, in chapter 15, it's the, it's the book of Kings. And uh, this has always been a... Uh, a tough read for me. When I get into this area of the Bible, it's always kind of tough because the kingdom has been split in two, you know, and so you've got the, the northern kingdom of Israel and you've got the southern kingdom of Judah and the tribes are split, but it's always really difficult for me because they, they start talking about these kings, well, and all of a sudden he's the king of, the, of Israel and this one's the king of Judah and, and it just gets really mixed up. And so it's always been a real tough thing. So then when I get, got the chance to preach on this, I thought, oh, great, here we go. Now I get to learn firsthand. But um, one of the things that you have to remember is that the Bible uh, is arranged, uh, you know, we like to read a book and we like to read it from beginning to the end and we think this is where the timeline should be. We start in the front and we progress as time goes on we, and, and we get to the end. But the Bible isn't really arranged like that, especially when it gets to this part of the Bible. And it's really arranged uh, topically, meaning that the Lord's looking down on it from his upper story, and it's not really arranged chronologically. And so you can, that's, I think that's why it gets so confusing this time, this part of the Bible. But uh, don't let that stop you. But anyway, you know, as we, as we came to this part of the Bible, the, uh, the tribes are split, and so you have the ten kingdoms uh, to the north of Israel, and you've got the two, two tribes uh, that, to the south, which is Judah, and, uh, and ultimately their demise, uh, the fall of the north to Assyria, and then the fall of the south to Babylon. But uh, Mike used a really good analogy last week, if you were here. You remember seeing the picture of the airplane. And what he was talking about is that any time that there's a plane crash, uh, they do this big investigation and they find out what the cause of the pla uh, crash was. And a lot of times it happens a long time ago, either a faulty part or maybe faulty, uh, just a malfunction of some kind in the airplane. And basically what he was saying is that, okay, now the plane is just looking for a place to crash because the problem's already taken place in the past. And so what he was making reference to was the story of Solomon and uh, his uh, infatuation with wives. He had many, many wives. And uh, they were wives of pagan uh, communities. 
and it was really forbidden by God, and so that was the start of it. Well, then you had his official, uh, 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 why can't I think of it now, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was his uh, official, and uh, so when when uh, Jeroboam rebelled against uh, Solomon, that was the beginning of this particular plane crash. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to carry on with that just a little bit. You know, a plane crash, when you look at the, uh, the wreckage site, it isn't really confined to one small area. In fact, if you look, from, a lot of times a helicopter will fly over a plane crash, and you'll see this crash, which is spread out. I mean, this, this plane hits, and oh, they're going so fast, and so the wreckage is spread out for thousands of yards long, hundreds of yards wide, and the wreckage is just all over. It's just a disaster. And really, that's the picture of the two kingdoms that we're talking about. We're talking about an area of destruction that's long and wide. In fact, this particular crash site takes place for over 200 years, over 208 years to be exact. That's how long the kingdoms have been split up. And uh, during this time, uh, the combined two kingdoms have had a total of 38 different kings. So no wonder it's confusing. There's 38 different kings, 19 to the north and 19 to the south. Um, so out of the 38 kings, who uh, cares to make a wager of how many were actually good? Can anybody make a wager there? Anybody think? Any guess? Right here. Five. Five kings out of 38. The rest, according to the Bible, were described as evil. Now, it's really hard to imagine uh, living under an evil reign uh, in the kingdom, but take a look at it this way. <clears throat> in the United States, we've had 44 presidents, okay, over a period that's just slightly longer uh, than the divided kingdoms. Now, I will grant you this, a few of these presidents have been less than stellar, but I don't think that we would actually consider some of these presidents to be evil. In fact, you know, maybe in the whole history of the world, there's really only just a handful of people that we could consider actually evil. You know, maybe Hitler, Stalin, uh, you know, Genghis Khan, you know, maybe some of those leaders, you know. So, so it's really hard to place yourself, you know, if you can imagine a, a, a kingdom that's actually classified as evil. So, so here we have God's people, the chosen people, okay? And this was a special nation. And this nation was the people whom God said he would reveal himself to the rest of the world. But this message that the tribes were sending just wasn't a good one. In fact, it was a wrong message. And so when we left the story, the kingdom had split up into two. We have the lower story, <clears throat> which was a conflict between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And in the upper story, God was still achieving his purpose. But we're trying to look and see how, did that, how does that look. So first of all, we have to ask the question, well, why did God split the kingdoms up? Okay, if, if you're, just, just like the word says, a, uh, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, but God himself instituted this, this split. <clears throat> well, first of all, like I said before, God wanted Israel to be his nation and through which he would showcase his people to the world. But the only problem was the showcase, showcasing was going on wasn't the message that he wanted to display. And so God divided this kingdom. Okay, And so God wanted his people to be blessed so that through them, others would be drawn to God. So the nation rebelled from God, and they became real complacent in their devotion to him. In fact, they were disobedient to God's commands. In fact, it got to the point where they were worshiping pagan gods. 
And it all started when, when they started claiming the new land. They were supposed to go in and just completely wipe out the, the people of that land. God had a plan, but unfortunately we didn't, they didn't follow the plan. And so because of that, then they started intermarrying with the Amorites and the Canaanites and, and Hittites, and pretty soon uh, we were worshiping their gods, the gods of Baal, the gods of Asherah. So that's where, that's where it starts, okay? And so that's where the, that's where the plane wreck is happening. So we're talking about this wrong message, and so I'll give you an example. Okay, let's say Pastor Mike and Bob, they get together and they decide they're going to go up to Marshall and rob a bank, okay? And, and you succeed. Anyway, uh, but somebody knows, somebody saw them, okay? And so on every post office you go into, there's this picture of Mike and Bob wanted, you know, and it robbed a bank. So but yet they still come to church on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning and preach. You know, that's the kind of message that Israel is sending to the world. Wait a minute, this is, this is who you're supposed to be, but this is what you're doing. And so that's the part that God has to step in and say, wait a minute, I've got to send messengers down to my people and get this message across, okay? So he, got, he, re, so he divided the nation so that he could purify the message regarding God's character. Now, we look at the tribes, there's, there's a total of 12 tribes, but does God really need all 12 tribes to fulfill his promise to Abraham and David? He really doesn't. In fact, if you look in um, Genesis 17, 1 through 8, and I don't know if I have that on the, the overhead or not, but here's the covenant that God makes with Abraham, and it says... Um, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations and I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you, and I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of the Canaan, where you are now as an alien, I will give to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So that's the covenant that the Lord makes with Abram. And then if we go to First Chronicles... We take a look at the promise that the Lord makes with David, and that's in First Chronicles 7, 17, excuse me, starting at uh, 10b. <clears throat> and it says, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you when your days are over and you go up to be with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. So there's the promise of, for David. And from the offspring of David, and he's from the tribe of Judah, God brings the Messiah, and this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And we read that if we go to the, uh, the book of Micah. 
in chapter 5, verse 2. And that says, wait a minute, I'm in Hosea, hold on. I didn't mark this one, sorry. Is it up on the board? Thank you. Here, let's just read it. But you, Bethlehem, Ephraim, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And so here we, here's the promise of the fulfillment of the Messiah, Jesus, from the tribe of Judah. So God really doesn't need all 12 tribes, but God shows his love to his people because he wants his, he wants his people to succeed. And so he still shows his love to them. So anyway, God sends prophets Okay, to the, to the northern kingdom, actually, he sends nine prophets and over the period of 208 years. Now, I found this really interesting. <clears throat> of the nine prophets that were sent to the northern kingdom, how many, you suppose, actually got listened to and were obeyed? One. And his, that was Jonah. And actually, that was even to the, <clears throat> to the people, the Ninevites, and they were actually a pagan society. So that wasn't even the tribe of Israel. So the only prophet who actually was obeyed and listened to was Jonah. So it just gets us uh, just kind of a mindset of just a how uh, the people of Israel were at that particular time. <clears throat> so we're going to talk just a little bit about one of my favorite prophets, Elijah. Now Elijah was sent by God. And uh, we all know the story, I know Mike talked about it a couple weeks ago, about the big showdown that Elijah has with the prophets of Baal. <clears throat> now, just to back up just a little bit, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the book of 1 Kings, uh, chapter 16, verse 30 through 33, we're going to hear a little bit about uh, King Ahab. Now, King Ahab, uh, according to the Bible, it says, did, was evil. And he did more evil than all the kings before him. In fact, uh, in 1 Kings 16.30, it says here, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. And Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidians, and, became, and began to serve Baal and to worship him. And he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. So not only are we talking about a, an evil king, now we're having kind of a double whammy, double-barreled. We've got an evil king who marries Jezebel, an evil woman. In fact, to this day, even the name Jezebel, her, I mean, she was so, so evil, her name is even symbolic to immorality and promiscuity. So you've got that double, kind of a double whammy, so to speak. So during the time, <clears throat> Jezebel was out for the prophets. In fact, they were in hiding because uh, she was out basically killing, killing the Lord's prophets. And so word comes to Elijah that he's supposed to present himself to Ahab, the king, and so he uses another prophet, Obadiah, who uh, at the time was one of the Lord's uh, faithful, and he had actually taken a hundred prophets and hid them in caves. He took 50 and put them in one cave and 50 in another cave, and he had been bringing them bread and water and been sustaining them. So then uh, I think it had been some time before uh, Obadiah and Elijah had seen each other, and finally they were walking one day, and they come across each other, and, 
And Obadiah said, is Elijah, is that you? And he said, yes. And so he tells Obadiah, I want you to go tell our master, meaning Ahab, uh, to come to me. And so uh, I, get the, I get a kick out of that. Uh, Obadiah says, what have I done wrong? I mean, here we have Jezebel trying to kill all the prophets. You're going to send me right to the front doorstep to get killed. But anyway, he obeys. And so he, uh, he goes and he talks to uh, Ahab and he sets up this big meeting. And uh, Elijah uh, talks to Ahab and he talks about the, uh, the three years that there's not going to be rain. And, uh, and uh, then they have, the, uh, they have the big showdown. And this is basically... Uh, where God shows himself powerful. And we're talking about messengers here, and so one of the things we have to ask ourselves as we're thinking about this whole story is what's the message that God's trying to send? And so we take a look at it, and uh, that's in uh, 1 Kings 18. So anyway, Elijah has this idea, and uh, he's talking to the people of Israel, and he says... uh, He went before the people and he said, uh, in, uh, this is in 1 Kings 18, 22, or 21. It says, Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So then Elijah says, Am I the only one of the Lord's prophets left? But Baal has 450 prophets So he sets up this big challenge. Get two bowls for us and let's choose one for themselves and let them cut into pieces and put it on the altar, but do not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and I'll put put on the wood, but I will not set fire to that. And then you call on your name of, of Baal, of God, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So he sets up the parameters for this challenge and the people said, it is good. This is great. So uh, the prophets of Baal, they start preparing the bull and uh, they start cutting it up into pieces and so they start shouting, they start their chanting, they start their dancing. And then I think Elijah does just a little bit of showboating here because he starts taunting them a little bit. So he says, hey, you know what? I don't think he's listening. Maybe you should shout just a little bit louder. And he said, surely he is a God. Maybe he's deep in thought or maybe he's just busy. He's traveling around. Maybe he's sleeping. So they shouted louder, and as the customs of that time, they actually would cut themselves. You know, they thought that maybe that would help, help the gods listen. And so here their blood is flowing, and at midday they're frantic, and they're, they're still trying to call out to, to the god of Baal. But obviously no one was there, no one's listening, no one answered. So then Elijah said to the people, he says, come here to me. And so they came, to, they came over to him, and, he says, and he, then he says, let's repair the altar. So the altar had been a shambles. In fact, uh, it says in the, in the Bible that he took 12 stones and he repaired, repaired the altar with the 12 stones. Now the 12 stones were to signify the 12 tribes of Israel. And this was, this was just to show that there was still unity in the covenant that, the, that God had made with the people of Israel. And so he assembled the 12 stones again. He piled the wood up on top of it. He cut the pieces and he put the, he put the bowl on top of that. And then now he does a little bit, just, just to prove, he starts to showboat just a little bit. So they have, they have uh, jars that are quite tall, and I forget how many, how many gallons are in each one of them. I think, think one uh, commentary said like 30 gallons in each jar. So he had four jars, and he had them dumped on the whole altar three times. 
So 12 jars of 30 gallons each on this altar. So it's completely soaked, if you can figure that out. And then there's a trench around it that's holding all the water. And so, so then it's interesting because we're still thinking about this message, you know, because he's the messenger. So what's the message that he's trying to say? Well, it gives us a little bit of an idea when you look at the prayer of Elijah when he called on God. It says in verse 36, 1 Kings 18, 36, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O God, God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, and answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And here's the big one right here, and that you are turning your hearts back again. So there's the message that God is trying to speak through Elijah. Number one is that I am the Lord your God, not the gods of these pagans that you've intermarried with. And that, number two, the commandment that he's given us, you shall have no other gods before me. He's making a physical um, demonstration of his power so that people know that. But number three, most of all, that he loves them and he wants them to turn their hearts back to him and that, you're not in, and that you're not alone. So there's first the story of, of Elijah. Now, the second story is, is of the prophet of Hosea. Now, this one here is one that really makes you scratch your head. <clears throat> uh, this is one of those times when you've got to be asking the Lord, what were you thinking? If you look at the story of Hosea, uh, you have to really look at it from God's side of it. It's the upper story, not so much the lower story, because if you only focus on the lower, lower story, you're just looking at the things that we experience, and it just doesn't make sense. God commands one of his prophets, one of his, his followers, to marry a prostitute. And so, again, what, what are you talking about? You think about this for a moment. Here's, here's this prophet, a single guy, who he prays earnestly to God, he seeks his guidance for direction, and then God tells him, just go down to the red light district over there and pick out a wife. Uh, so you got to say, what? What's going on here? Now, here's another side note. Um, this is a time when you really have to be discerning. You really got to be able to hear God's voice on this, because if you get this one wrong, it's really going to be a tough one. But you know what? Hosea knows God's voice. God's been speaking through Hosea, so he knows his voice, and so he obeys. And so we have to ask, ask ourselves, what's God up to in this upper story? You know, is it possible that he wants Hosea to go and marry this prostitute, pull her out of this, this lifestyle that she's in, and, you know, so that he can help her turn her life around? I mean, that's what it looks like on the lower side, but actually, um, it, it isn't what happens. Now, Gomer is an unfaithful uh, woman. It doesn't really say in the Bible whether she was a prostitute ahead of time or she was unfaithful afterwards. And so, um, but, it, but we do know that the Bible says that, he, that after uh, they were married, uh, she was unfaithful. And in fact, uh, she's unfaithful even after that she bears three children to Hosea. And it actually gets so bad for Gomer that uh, we read in the Bible that uh, uh, Hosea actually has to purchase her back from slavery. So she had gotten so bad that she actually had to sell herself into slavery. And so uh, it, it just shows um, 
kind of a parallel between what, what God is trying to show the people of Israel. Okay, here's, this is you. You are Gomer. You know, you are an unfaithful people. You know, I have loved you. I have, I have given you all the blessings that I can possibly give you, but yet you've gone off and you've, you've prostituted yourself with other gods. You've prostituted yourself with the gods of Baal and Asherah, and you've been unfaithful to me. So it's an object lesson. So basically God tells, basically God has Hosea be an object lesson. An object lesson is something that's a visual aid that we use for teaching. So that's what, that's what Hosea ends up being. And uh, it's really quite effective uh, on, on this side, looking down, you know, from the upper story, because God's really sh sending a message to Israel, like, hey, you're just like Gomer. You're an unfaithful people. Now, you know, at the time you think, well, how, how could these people do that? You know, God has shown them so many wonderful things. They've, he's parted the Red Sea, and, you know, this has been hundreds of years ago. But, you know, back then, fathers are supposed to tell their children, their children are supposed to tell their children of all the wonders of God and how they've got to that particular point. So somewhere along the line, it just had been dropped. And so they just quit talking about the wonders of God. So, you know, I look at it today, and I think, you know, we, we don't really... We don't set up an idol at home. We don't set up a pole and bow down to it. But I think it's even more difficult today. You know, we, we have gods that take on many, many shapes. We have gods that take on drugs, addictions, uh, sports, TV, electronics, you know, you name it, golf, you know, anything. You know, anything that you spend more time at and, and thinking about than you do about thinking about about God, that's, that's, that becomes your God. And the other thing that you have to look at too is, is uh, if you think, well, no, I don't, I don't really have any of those, but let's take a look at where, where our money goes to. I mean, that's a, that's a real true indicator. You know, if you spend your time and your money on certain areas, uh, that, that in, that's an indicator of who we're also serving. So God takes a look at this and, and he looks at um, our focus on what we are actually uh, spending our time with, and, he, and, and if it's not with God, he considers it the same as unfaithfulness and prostitution. So it's one of these things that God takes very, very seriously. But yet, we can't forget that, that God loves his people. But Israel um, still, even after this, after the message, Israel still uh, rebels, and they're disobedient. And it just makes you wonder why God just didn't find that reset button and hit it again, you know, like he did back in the times of Noah. I mean, the people were that evil. But, you know, God didn't do that because he made a promise. And God is a God, is a God of promises, and he keeps his promises. And he told Noah that he would never do that again. But God also loves his people. And even when his people don't show love back to him again. So God uses Hosea to show us the love that he has for us. And that how far that he will actually go to reclaim his people. I mean, if you're using someone to a holy man that goes out and basically has union with a prostitute, but he's doing that just to show, and then he shows, and then Hosea shows love for Gomer and buys her back as a slave, and he brings her back in to be, be his wife and loves her again, shows her love. So it just shows us how far God will go in order to get that message across that, you know what? No matter what you've done, I still love you. So he demonstrates it, first of all, through Hosea. 
And then he proves it through his son Jesus. He sends his son Jesus to die for us, even when we were still sinners. You know, chapter 15 is really a, it's really a story about messengers. You know, and Elijah, he was the messenger who showed the people of Israel that God was the one, the only true God. And there, but there are no other gods before him. And that he wants his people to return to him. And Hosea, he was the messenger who demonstrates just how far God will go to bring his people back to him and how much he loves us. No matter where we've been or no matter what we've done, regardless of our sin, regardless of how far we've strayed from God, he whispers his upper story in our ear, and he says, I love you, come back to me, regardless of what you've done. In... Uh, <clears throat> In Romans 8.38, one of my favorite verses. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, if he's willing to, if he's willing to take his own son and sacrifice him on a cross for our sins, even while we're still sinning, think of the, think of the great lengths that he will go to bless those who obey him. You know, we're, we're, we're really all messengers, you know, when you think about this. It's, it's one of those things where God has called his church and his people to be the, the hands and feet of God, and we are that. Whether you're here talking to your friends and your life groups, whether you're at work talking to whoever that you're hanging out with, <clears throat> you're really a messenger of God, whether you know it or not, whether you say anything or not. People are watching. You know, non-Christians are watching exactly what we do because we're professing, I am, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So they're watching us. And they're very watching us with critical, critical views and critical eyes. And so, um, so what we're doing has just as much action as what we're saying. So, so as you're out there and as you're in your, in your fields of... of uh, professions. Um, just remember, the Lord Lord wants you to be the messenger, and He wants us to show the people of this world exactly who He is through us. And you can only do that when you're hearing God, when you're reading God's Word, when you know what His will is for us. I think about that often because there's so many times that you can get caught up in what you're doing and in the, in the, heat, of the heat of the moment. You know, some things can happen and it just throws your whole day in a, just, a, uh, 
just a turmoil. You know, people do things uh, that, uh, you know, maybe they're uh, uh, just completely out of left field. You're just not expecting it. And all of a sudden, something comes in from the side that you just completely destroys your trust in people. But you know what? Um, it doesn't matter. You know, God, God is still the God of the universe. He hasn't changed one bit from before till now. He is the same. He loves us. He knows, he knows who we are. He knows our hearts. And all we have to do is just obey Him. All right, amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the day. Lord, I thank you for how you show us who your messengers are, Lord, and what you expect from us. Father, that you just expect obedience. You expect our heart. You expect our love. It's not a difficult thing to do, Father, but we just uh, we make it difficult through our own preconceived ideas of, of what it's supposed to look like. Lord, I just pray that, uh, that you would just... Uh, show us your love in a mighty way, Father, each day. Give us the confidence to step out and just uh, proclaim the salvation story to those that we come in contact with every day. Lord, I thank you for uh, the boldness of the people that are, who are out there on the front lines in countries that their very lives are in danger, but yet they're proclaiming your word. They're put in prisons, they're tortured, they're beaten. And we think, it t- we, think it, we think it's tough when we're embarrassed. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, be with us today, Father, as we, we are the messengers. We are your hands and feet, Lord. Give us the boldness to go out and proclaim it in Jesus' name. And Father, we just thank you that, uh, that we are a church that's able to send out people as well. Father, I thank you for the team that is going to Bangkok. Father, I thank you for the team that's going to Rwanda. Lord, I thank you that uh, uh, we were able to do that, Father, and that people are willing to go. Father, I ask that you would bless them and truly give them a, an experience that is just truly a, a godly experience, one that, one that allows them to be touched by you. We thank you that uh, they are our hands and feet. And Father, we just pray that... Uh, that you would bless the food that we're going to eat today. And Lord, we just pray for the offering and the finances and all of the details that go into uh, undertaking like this. Father, we pray for safety. But above all, Father, we just pray that your word would be proclaimed and that your love would be shown through the people. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.